Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. The weekend is upon us, and Walters is a great spot to gather for brunch. From chicken and waffles to Walters breakfast tacos, Walters menu has something for everyone. On top of that, for only $20, enjoy bottomless drinks, including mimosas, Bloody Marys, Trulies, and old-time lagers. Swing by before, during, or after Saturday night's DC United match. Followed by UFC 274. Check out the events page at waltersdc.com for more information. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Adone on the mound for Joe Madden's Angels. Leading off in right field, Taylor Ward. Mike Trout, the center fielder, hitting second. Batting third, designated hitter, Shohei Otani. The third baseman, Anthony Rendon. Rendon batting fourth. Here's the set, the kick and the pitch. And a swing and a miss. He struck him out with a fastball, 97 on the Natka radar gun. Yoan Adone just struck out Mike Trout and Shohei Otani consecutively. Combined four times the MVP. The 0-2 swing and a line drive right center field. On the run and way back is Robles. It's over his head and off the base of the wall. This will score at least two runs. Stopping at third is Ward. And in at second with a two-run double to right center field is Mike Trout. And the Angels now lead by the score of three to nothing. And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, May 7th, 2022, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at the Big A, Angel Stadium in Anaheim, California. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. If you stayed up late on Friday night to watch game one of the Nats three-game series at the Los Angeles Angels, you didn't have to stay up for as long as you perhaps thought that you would. The game took just two hours, 28 minutes, as for a third time in four games, the Nats played a game in well under three hours, uh, which you also saw, unfortunately, was the Nats total just four hits and get shut out 3 nothing. Nats this season now are just 9-19. and 19. But what you also saw was a young pitcher in Yoan Adone battle with one of the most intimidating lineups in baseball. Now, the results were mixed, yes, but for a young pitcher in Adone, this is a game from which I think that he can take quite a bit. Five walks, not good, okay, but six strikeouts were good, and take a look at the specifics of some of the strikeouts. Adone struck out the ex-Nad, Anthony Rendon, who was facing the Nats for the first time. And Adone struck out Mike Trout and Shohei Otani in succession on a combined seven pitches for the final two outs in the bottom of the third. 
with a runner on first. That was great to see. So a mixed night for Yoan Adon, yes, Mark, but in this season in which we so often focus on the bigger picture, this is a game that we perhaps will look back upon when it comes to the development of Yoan Adon. The lead to my game story at MassInSports.com was, and I have a feeling we may be writing and talking about this more as the season plays out, that you're never going to get excited about a 3 nothing loss, okay? Like, I understand that. But if you can pull yourself back, especially this year, and think about what really mattered in the bigger picture, to me, it's impossible not to come out of this game and say, Joanna, don't really impressed. And like, there was legitimate stuff there that made you think this guy might actually have what it takes to be a part of this rotation for a long time. Yeah, there were some mistakes. The walks were the key part of that. And then that one pitch to Mike Trout on an 0-2 fastball. But to stare down those hitters and not look phased or intimidated by it at all, we've talked about he's got some mound presence for a 23-year-old. To me, it was hard not to come away from this impressed. I get the result isn't what anybody wants. And I'm not saying you should be happy they lost the game. Of course not. But long term, this was a sign to me that Yoan Adon may actually be something. And you've got to, you know, just believe and hope that with each passing start, he gets a little more experience, gets better in those situations. But if he's already able to do what he did tonight against hitters like that, that's pretty promising to me. Yeah, I mean, he needed a game like this, I think, for a lot of reasons. You know, we talked after his previous start about, okay, well, is he going to remain in the Nats rotation just because things had not been going so well? And truth be told, he had made five starts coming into Friday night. He had struggled big time in four of the five starts. The one start in which he did not struggle was a start that actually was really good. Six and a third scoreless innings, five strikeouts, one nothing win over Arizona at Nationals Park in game two of that doubleheader sweep. That was that game we made a big deal of. First time this season, and that starting pitcher completed at least six innings. But, you know, at some point, it's like, all right, that's good. Can you show some more growth, though? Because it was never like a given that Yohan Adon was going to stay in the rotation. I think what happened Friday night makes you feel like, all right, let's see some more here. I mean, you got to give young pitchers a chance, right? You have to give them an opportunity. And, you know, you think about this Nat season, like when the Aaron Sanchez's start, it's kind of like, okay, whatever, you know, because we all get that he's not taking you anywhere. But when the Josiah Grays and Yoana don't start, you feel like, all right, this is interesting and it matters how these guys do. And it's really interesting with Yoana Don because like you said, there is something there. We're seeing that. When Davey Martinez, more than a month ago now, essentially lobbied publicly for Don to make the Nats season opening rotation, we are seeing why Davies thought that and did that because there is something there with Adon. Now, he clearly has a problem with his control. And by the way, he clearly has a problem with pickoff attempts. Turn, throw to first, a bad throw, and bounce past Bell. On his feet is Wade heading for second. Bell will pick it up in foul ground and hold on to it. An errant pickoff throw. That compounds the walk in a big way because now the Angels have a runner in scoring position. You know, Adone can't throw to first base. I think he's got a little bit of a block about him. Mean, remember the throw he had in his last start on the bunt? That's not pretty right now, okay? He's bouncing throws. He had another error on Friday night in terms of an errant uh, throw on a pickoff attempt, but he's striking guys out and he's battling. So Adon on Friday night, three runs in five innings. Like I said, the control is an issue. He issued five walks. He issued a wild pitch. You look at his uh, strike versus ball breakdown, 85 pitches, 51 strikes, 34 balls, and he did commit a throwing error on a pickoff attempt, but he gave up just three hits, a double and two singles. And he had the six strikeouts and the striking out of Trout and Otani on just seven total pitches, final two outs, bottom of the third. That was a really cool sequence to see. 
And he did it with fastballs. Like he blew them away, 95, 96, and apparently had a lot of movement and life on it from what they were saying afterwards. So, I mean, all six of his strikeouts came on fastballs. So, yeah, look, the walks are not going to, you know, hold up long term. Now, one of them was intentional of Otani, which set up a double play by Rendon, which is another impressive uh, job by the kid. The pickoff throw, yes, this is, we've seen this a few times now. He's going to have to work on that one because it looks like he just rushes it and it's almost like he spikes the ball into the ground, doesn't even give Josh Bell a chance at it. That's a problem. And if it's in his head as opposed to physical, that's a real problem because now we're getting to a John Lester situation. But let's not talk about that yet. Hopefully that's not going to be the case. But if you have that kind of life on your fastball to get those hitters out, you know, that's a great starting point. What we're talking about now is just kind of refining all the finer points around it. It's about having more trust in your breaking balls, your off-speed stuff. It's about making sure you get ahead in the count so that you're not falling behind the way that he was a few times that led to some of those walks. But to me, those are teachable things and that with experience you can get. You can't teach that fastball. You can't teach, like I said, the mound presence that he has. He sticks his chest out. He walks around the mound like he belongs there no matter who he's facing. And you might say, well, he hasn't really earned that yet. But to me, it it stands out as like a guy who says, I belong here. And the results maybe overall haven't suggested that he's a big time big league starter yet, but there's been enough in there that you can see what there could be. I think it's a, a great place for him to start from with what we've seen so far. So Adon on Friday night gave up a run in the bottom of the first inning, issued a leadoff seven-pitch walk of Taylor Ward, uh, gave up a single to Mike Trout up the middle, then issued a wild pitch, putting runners on second and third with no outs. And you had Shohei Otani, Anthony Rendon coming up. That first inning could have been a lot worse than it ended up being. Uh, but Adon induced an RBI ground out from Otani for a one nothing Angels lead. And then Adon struck out Anthony Rendon and Jared Walsh uh, to get those final two outs. And then Bottom of the fifth, uh, Adon gave up two runs. He issued a one-out seven-pitch walk of Tyler Wade. He then committed a throwing error on a pickoff attempt, advancing Wade to second. Adon, uh, in that Angels one-run first, had bounced the throw to first base on an attempted pickoff of Taylor Ward. It's confusing with the Angels. You have Tyler Wade and Taylor Ward, so you have to be very careful with that. Uh, But Adon, in that uh, fifth inning, then gave up a one-out infield single to David Fletcher on an 0-2 pitch issued a one-out six-pitch walk of Taylor Ward, and then came the big blow. And this was a big spot. Mike Trout is up with the bases loaded. Welcome to the majors. You're facing Mike Trout with the bases loaded on a Friday night on the road in Los Angeles, or in Anaheim, I guess I should say. Uh, And it don't gave up a one-out bases loaded two-run double to Trout off the base of the center field wall on an 0-2 pitch for a 3-0 Angels lead. So a lot to digest there. You had Trout down 0-2, and then you gave up the big blow. Uh, could have been a grand slam. Thankfully, was not. So, you know, it's a mixed bag with it, though. Like, you're not going to throw a parade over this outing. But you're seeing some growth here. And the Angels are having a good season so far. The lineup is very imposing when you consider the presence of Trout and the presence of Otani and the presence of Rendon. And, you know, like we were saying, Adon, I thought, navigated things, all things considered, pretty well. Yeah. So the Trout at bat. Let's go back to the one the previous time in the third inning. Identical situation other than the bases not being loaded. He has him 0-2, and that's when he gets him on a fastball. Next time up, he's again got him 0-2, and Cabert Ruiz calls for the fastball again. And in hindsight, I do wonder if Trout, being the very good hitter that he is, knows what they tried to do to him last time and is looking for that pitch. Now, it was also a fastball right over the plate, so who knows? If he locates it better, might have been a different result. 
But I do wonder, essentially a rookie catcher and a rookie starter, if you have to be a little more careful about not being that predictable in your pitch sequencing. If you already got him on an 0-2 fastball, maybe throw something else there just to keep him honest. But again, these are finer points. These are things that you don't really expect from rookies on both the pitching side and the catching side to get. So give them some time. They might figure that all out. Here's the crazy thing. You tell me what you think about this. Mike Trout goes two for four and has that clutch two-run double that, like you said, almost was a grand slam. And I felt like the Nationals had a really good night against him. I felt like they contained him. Is that is that wrong for me to say that, even though he you know had a, such a big hit, important hit in the course of the game? No, I think it's all relative. I mean, it reminds me of like when, say, the Wizards will play the Bucks in the Greek Freak you know, he'll have like 30 points in 10 rebounds. But if you hold him to 30 points on, say, 30 shots, like if he gets to 30, but he only shot like 40% from the field, you're like, well, all things considered, they did a good job. Now, me using the Wizards is not a good example because the Wizards don't normally play good defense. But you get the idea. You hear that a lot in basketball of like, well, they did a good job on, you know, superstar X because it took them so many shots to get to so many points. I feel like that's a deal with Trout. Like, most guys go two for four with a huge hit like that. You're like, well, no, he got his. But it's Trout, okay? He's probably the best player of his generation, maybe the best player over the last 20 years, you know, depending on how you want to look at things. So, yeah, I mean, I, I look at those three guys, Trout, Otani, and Rendon, and I say to myself, all right, what happened on Friday night? Well, Trout, Otani, and Rendon, the two, three, four batters for the Angels, when it combined two for 11 with one walk. Okay, I would have signed up for that going into the game. You know, now Trout's the guy who did the damage, but uh, the Nats did a good job on Otani. The Nats did a good job on Rendon. Rendon went 0 for 4 with two strikeouts on Friday night. So, you know, the pitching was not the problem. The Nats lost 3 nothing. Nats didn't hit in this game. The Nats were back to doing as they did prior to that series at San Francisco. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal. Fastball, cold strike three. Rendon running out of the box toward first. Thought he had ball four, and 
has some words with Chad Witts in the home plate umpire before departing for the Angels' dugout on the third base side. A calm Anthony Rendon in that discussion. That was a borderline pitch. Ruiz moved the glove back a hair when he received it. Anthony Rendon, I know that he was so looking forward to talking to you guys and, you know, reminiscing about his time with the Nationals because he just so much enjoys discussing things uh, with reporters. But uh, you did speak to him. How is Anthony Rendon doing and uh, what did he have to say? So here's the thing. They actually held it in the press conference room. It was a little more formal than I was expecting and a little surprising. Like if it was in D.C., his return to D.C., I would see that. The fact that it was here in Anaheim, it's mostly Angels media that was there. You know, a few of us who cover the Nationals and are traveling were there. It felt a little too much for this. But you know what? He actually, once he sort of did the initial eye roll and the, you know, kind of snarky responses, the perfect, the very first question, and it was a little bit of a setup to say to him, hey, you know, are you think you're going to feel emotional at all to be facing the Nats for the first time? He says, no, <laughs> of course he's not. He said, you know, maybe if it was in D.C., but it's here. And obviously it's been two and a half years since he played for them. But once he got going and he started talking about both what he's been through with the Angels, which includes a pretty serious hip injury last year, and talked about 2019 and his time with the Nationals and and about how he now wants to help the Angels realize that same goal and how he as a 31-year-old is now one of the veterans, one of the older guys, and he takes a different responsibility than he used to with the Nats. I got to be honest, at the end of all that, I thought to myself, that was almost as much insight as we've ever gotten from Anthony Rendon. That's a low bar because he just doesn't say a lot to begin with. But I actually came out of that feeling like I got a lot more out of him than I've ever gotten out of him in plenty of interviews over the years. Well, we have put up a poll via Twitter. You can always follow us on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. Which Anthony Rendon home run from October 2019 do you enjoy the most? Uh, I think the phrasing matters here because all three homers were big, but which one do you enjoy the most? Uh, Rendon homer in Game 5 against the Dodgers off Clayton Kershaw. The homer in Game 6 of the World Series against Houston. The homer in Game 7 of the World Series against Houston. This is actually, I think, a really tough call because all three homers were so key. The homer in World Series Game 6 came off Will Harris, current Nat. Yes, he is still on the Nats. I know it doesn't feel that way. But Rendon, two-out, two-run bomb off Harris to left field in the top of the seventh of that game for a 5-2 Nats lead. That was a huge hit in that game to help the Nats avoid elimination. So I don't know. It's tough. I mean, the homer in Game 5 against the Dodgers was huge off Kershaw. The homer in Game 7, of course, a World Series Game 7 home run that came off Zach Granke in an Nats three-run seventh. What's your answer to that question? Because I think all three are acceptable answers. I don't think you're wrong if you say any one of those three. Sure, you're right. And it's a reminder of, and I don't have the stat in front of me, but I remember it at the time. In those elimination games, late and from like the seventh inning on, he had some insane amount of clutch hits and doubles, home runs. Like he just did not ever make an out in a big situation with the whole season on the line. That's what made him so great. I would say... In L.A., yes, his was the first one, but Juan Soto followed with the one that was like 450 feet, the jaw-dropping 
you know, Kershaw down on his knees after that. That one, I, I remember the Soto one more. So the Game 7 one, of course, yes. But, you know, Howie Kendrick's home run in Game 7 was the key one. So I'm going to say Game 6. And here's why. Because it came just moments after the Trey Turner incident at first base. And I remember being there and thinking this as this plays out, like if that call and their reaction to it ends up costing them the World Series, and it was a very close game at that point, it very easily could have turned that game around. Like we are never going to hear the end of it. They're going to have to live with that play and that call forever. And then what happened? Rendon came up and made it all moot by hitting the ball over the Crawford boxes. And that to me is like such a great example of what Anthony Rendon does. He's so calm. He doesn't let any moment become too big for him as everyone else in the ballpark is kind of losing their minds. He was the one who stood tall and took the game back into control for the Nationals. I would say that might be the most enjoyable one because uh, the way it did kind of turn that game back in the right direction right when it looked like it might all fall apart for them. Yeah, no, I think what you say makes a lot of sense. You know, Rendon in World Series Game 6 was a monster. Three for four with a walk, five RBI. He had a two-out, two-run double in the top of the ninth. And, you know, it's interesting. In baseball, you get MVPs for series. You don't have, though, what you have in the Stanley Cup playoffs, which is an MVP for the postseason, the Conn Smythe Trophy. If there was a Conn Smythe in baseball, I actually think Anthony Rendon would have won the Conn Smythe for the Nats in 2019. His numbers against the Dodgers in the NLDS, 7-17, homer, three doubles, and three walks. His numbers against the St. Louis Cardinals in the NLCS, 5-12, double, four walks. And then his numbers in the World Series against the Astros, 8-29, two homers, three doubles, three singles, three walks. He led the Nats with eight runs batted in in that World Series. He was really good in all three of the series for the Nats that postseason. So, Howie Kendrick, NLCS, yes. Steven Strasburg, World Series, yes. But if there's a championship belt for an overall postseason performer for the Nats in 2019, I think you can make a very strong argument that Anthony Rendon was the number one guy. He also had one of the most underrated plate appearances of the entire postseason. Go back to the wild card game. He drew the walk that loaded the bases for Juan Soto and took some really tough pitches against Josh Hader to set that up. So, yeah, I agree. Again, it was because... Everything that he did was meaningful. He wasn't just like hitting tack on homers or, you know, driving in runs early in a game that didn't really matter in the end. They were happening late. They were happening with the team facing elimination. Time, you know, fades our memory somewhat, but I don't want anybody to ever lose sight of the fact of just how great of a player Anthony Rendon is. Now, Bryce Harper at his best, probably better. Juan Soto at his best, probably better. But consistently, day in and day out, and year to year, Anthony Rendon is the best player the Nationals have ever had. First pitch to Turner. And a full swing and a dribbler up the third base side. This is going to be a tough chance. Peacock hurries his throw, and the ball gets away. The ball through Gurriel down the right field line. Gomes is going to head for third and Turner to second as Gurriel's glove got knocked off, and they're going to call Turner out for being out of the baseline. Oh, my. So instead of second and third, they're going to send Gomes back to first, and Turner is out for being out of the baseline. Harris is 1-0. Swinging a high fly ball left field, sending Brantley back onto the warning track at the wall, looking up, and it is gone! Anthony Rendon puts it into the Crawford boxes, and the Nationals lead the ball game 5-2 here in the seventh inning. 
It's Anthony Rendon's first World Series home run and his second long ball of the postseason. And the Nationals get to Harris here in the top of the seventh. The Nationals five, the Astros two. Well, Rendon, unfortunately, is not on the Nats anymore, and uh, their offense showed that on Friday night. Uh, The Nats got shut out at the Angels. The Nats totaled just four hits at the Angels, uh, did draw four walks, but 0 for 5 with runners in scoring position, and there just wasn't a lot happening for the Nats offensively in this game. I mean, this game brought you right back to the way things were offensively for the Nats prior to their series at the Giants uh, last weekend. Uh, what's funny is actually the Nats' most productive batter on uh, Friday night actually was Alcides Escobar. Alcides Escobar on Friday night had a triple and a walk. Uh, go figure. It was good to see uh, Alcides uh, have a game like that. But uh, beyond that, I mean, you know, you had, it's funny, Cesar Hernandez began the game with a first pitch leadoff double. He said, all right, that's a good start to the game. And the Nats lately, right, have had some real success in the early innings of games but there just ended up not being much to chew on in this game. Juan Soto 0 for 3 with a walk and a couple of strikeouts. Josh Bell 0 for 3 with a walk. Nelson Cruz was back. Uh, he was back in there as a starting DH and cleanup batter. He'd missed the previous two games due to back stiffness. 1 for 4 with a single. Uh, he in the top of the six had a leadoff full count single through the left side of the infield. But uh, that was a ground ball single. And you pointed this out on Twitter. The extent to which Nelson Cruz is hitting ground balls right now really is hurting the Nats. And, you know, Nelson came up in a big spot, top of the first runners on first and second, one out, and he grounded into a 6-4-3 double play. And you're just like, geez, this is the way it's been with Nelson Cruz so far this season. It's tough, man. I mean, you want to see him get going. You don't want to just write him off, but a lot of ground balls right now, a lot of weak contact right now, and just a real lack of production from Nelson Cruz. So his career ground ball percentage is 42%. And he's never in any single season gone higher than 45%. And this year, coming into this game, he was at 55%. And as you said, it was actually four ground balls that he hit in the course of the game. That's not good. He is reaching for pitches on the lower outside corner. And instead of driving them to the opposite field, he's rolling over and hitting ground balls to short and to third. Now, some of them are hard hit. There is some solid contact there, but he's not going with the pitch. And I don't know if this is age catching up to him. I don't know if this is him not seeing the pitches the same way, if it's just doesn't have the ability to to reach to get those anymore. I don't know the answer for that, but this has been a pretty consistent theme here for a month now. And as we said before, this isn't like he's just missing pitches or he's getting under him and hitting him and they're dying at the warning track. Like these are consistently just ground ball outs and it does concern you. I get why if you're the Nationals, you want to give them every opportunity to get out of this, both because ultimately it helps your team, but also as we've talked about, a major goal this year is to get production from Nelson Cruz to then make him valuable in July for a contending team. He's not going to do that sitting on the bench. I do wonder, though, if we're going to get to a point here where even if he's in the lineup, maybe he doesn't need to be hitting third or fourth. Maybe you drop him a little bit, especially if Yadiel Hernandez is also in the lineup on the same day. There's going to be a case to be made for that because he's the guy who's coming up in spots with runners on base, and he is the guy who's consistently not driving them in. So if you look at Nelson Cruz's average exit velocity coming into Friday night, previous years, his average exit velocity has been... Uh, lower 90s. So like uh, 2021, 92.9 miles per hour. Uh, 2019, 93.7 miles per hour. His average exit velocity coming into Friday night, 88.6 miles per hour. So that is a dip. And that's a problem. 
his launch angle coming into this game on Friday night, 6.2 as compared to 11.8 in 2021. That's a big time decline. Now, you know, what you cling to is the sample size for the season is still relatively small. But like you said, older guy, age 41 season, I brought this up recently, his decline, you could argue, actually started like midway through last season. You just hope we're not seeing Nelson Cruz kind of fall off the cliff here. It happens to every player, right? I mean, no one is great forever. And Nelson Cruz has been great for a really long time. We'll see. I mean, I keep trying to remind myself of Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber last year. Each guy got off to a really bad start. Each guy then got going. But here's the thing, especially with Bell. Bell was still hitting balls hard during his struggles early last season. And that would get pointed out. And it became, you almost became sick of hearing that because it, was, it would always, always be talked about like, yeah, he's struggling, but he's hitting balls hard. And you're like, well, okay, that's nice. But at what point are these well-hit balls going to turn into hits? Well, they did turn into hits and they have remained hits for about a year now. Nelson Cruz, for the most part, isn't hitting balls hard. And I think that's what's disturbing in conjunction with a lot of grounders. Uh, that's a bad combo. Weak contact and a lot of ground balls. And you're talking about a guy who's 41, as opposed to Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber, who are in their upper 20s, when they overcame those struggles. So again, there's a different scenario here. If this is happening to Nelson Cruz in April and May of you know 2013, it might be a different story. And you say, okay, well, we have reason to believe that he's going to turn that around. In 2022, that you have to have more doubts about it. It's just the fact of life. You get to a certain point, you just don't have it anymore. Now, I think the hope would be that it didn't drop off that much that quickly. But like you said, second half of last year after he was traded to Tampa, there were some signs of this. And so if you're the Nationals, you had to know there was a chance this is what you were going to get. I think deep down, they probably knew he wasn't going to be peak Nelson Cruz. But I'm not sure that they really thought that the drop-off would be to this extent. Not giving up on him yet, but I do think they have to start approaching it a little differently, especially as well as Yadiel Hernandez's hit. Now, he wasn't in the lineup for this game against a lefty. Um, Davey wanted Lane Thomas in there against him. They need to make sure, as long as he's hitting, that Yadiel Hernandez is in the lineup, if not every day, pretty close to it. Somebody's going to have to sit as a result of that, and Nelson Cruz may have to be the guy sometime. Yeah, I was a little surprised Yadiel was not out there on Friday night. We know Davey likes to ride the hot hand and stick with something when it's working. Yadiel is on fire right now. I mean, whether you're facing a righty or a lefty or someone with four arms, I mean, just have Yadiel out there, man. Like, he is locked in these days. Don't don't end the heater, okay? Let Yadiel end the heater. You don't end the heater. Let the heater keep going. You know, I was thinking about this with Nelson Cruz, though, earlier today. So he's the DH, right? We have the universal DH now. And I'm a proponent of that, right? I was tired of seeing pitchers be so bad as batters. Well, Nelson Cruz this season has basically hit like a pitcher. Like if we're being honest about things, okay, he's batting 147. He has a 234 on base percentage. He has a 211 slugging percentage. There's a sentence I never thought I'd be saying. Nelson Cruz this season has hit like a pitcher, maybe even worse than a pitcher, because the Nats have actually had some really good hitting pitchers over the years. That's remarkable that that's the case so far. And he doesn't even ever get to bunt <laughs> the way that a pitcher would. So <laughs> I hate to say this, but like if that's the production you're getting, that's a number nine hitter. It's not a number four hitter. Now, again, the reputation is going to keep him up there. But I do think at some point we have to talk about should he be at least bumped down a little bit in the lineup because he is coming up so often with guys on base, that's not where you would want your pitcher to usually hit. And if that's the production they're getting from him, that's not a guy who should be hitting cleanup on a regular basis. Uh, I mentioned Alcides Escobar. So like I said, he went one for two with a triple and a walk. Uh, he in the top of the third had a one out first pitch opposite field triple 
to right field. He also, in the bottom of the seventh, did a nice job of applying a tag on Tyler Wade on an attempted steal of second base. Wade beat the throw of K-Bert Ruiz, but slid off the base and was called out. This has happened a few times now this season with an ants adeptly have like kept a tag on a base runner who is successful on a steal, but then slides off the bag and the Nationals player tags out the runner. It's a smart thing to be doing. I'm assuming this is a coaching point that the Nats are saying, hey, keep your glove down because guys are sliding off bases. It seems to be happening more and more in baseball that this is happening. Guys beat throws, but then get called out for over sliding on bags. And I give the Nats credit. They've gotten a few extra outs uh, because of how they've handled those situations this season. Yeah, I think you've seen more of this since replay became a thing uh, and since they started looking at those things and, and plays around the bases. And what you hear repeatedly from managers and coaches is finish the play. Don't give up on a play. Even if you think he beat the throw, keep the tag on him because maybe you got him. Maybe he came off the base. Uh, if you you know swipe tag him, apply the tag again and hold it. You know, In this case, the umpire saw it live. They didn't even have to go to replay. But sometimes they're not going to catch that right away. And if somebody in the dugout watching their video feed of it sees that, they're going to call for it. So, yeah, credit to them. They have taken advantage of that. It is definitely something that's been a point of emphasis. And any way to help yourself getting out, uh, it's absolutely worth it. And, it. and the flip side is also true for base runners. It's always finish out the play. If you hit a routine ground ball, make sure you run all the way and step on first. Because if anything were to happen that they wanted to go back and review the play, you need to have finished it to be called safe at first. If you never make it to first, they can't give that to you. So same kind of uh, thing there. It's definitely been a point of emphasis here the last few years. That's bullpen was good on Friday night. Uh, three Nats relievers combined for three scoreless innings. Austin Voth, a perfect bottom of the sixth. Victor Arano, a scoreless bottom of the seventh. Paolo Espino, a scoreless bottom of the eighth. If you're keeping track of Victor Arano on the Wander Suero meter, uh, the Nats now have played 28 games this season. Arano has made 13 appearances. Now, he's only totaled 12 and a third innings. It's not like his innings total is that much higher than other Nats relievers, but 13 appearances in 28 games this season. Can we get to Victor Arano making, say, 70-plus appearances this season? Can we even tickle 80 appearances this season? The Arano usage really is not ticking down, even though the Nats have had to make some cuts with their bullpen here lately. No, and what's strange is, you know, he's getting all the work. Austin Voth pitched back-to-back days. Um, You know, hello, Tanner Rainey, are you still here (laughs) anywhere? And again, they haven't been in the right positions always to use him, but you know, Davey's got his guys and he's going to keep going to them as long as he thinks it's the right call for them. You just hope that physically they hold up over the long haul. Sean Doolittle hasn't pitched in weeks. Sean Doolittle has made six appearances this season. Tanner Rainey has made seven appearances this season. Let that sink in. That's that's odd. I mean, it's strange. It's strange that we're seeing this little of Rainey. And like you said, there are reasons for that. But at some point, man, just use your best relievers, okay? Uh, we're not seeing any of Tanner Rainey here these days, so we'll see. Perhaps uh, we'll have an opportunity in Game 2 of this series on Saturday night, and Josiah Gray will be the Nats' starting pitcher. And, you know, you talk about what matters, right? Josiah Gray starts matter, and he's been so good here lately. And, boy, off what Joanna Doan did on Friday night, if Josiah Gray can go out there on Saturday night, pitch well again, do well against these very good Angels batters, uh, that would be terrific for this Nats weekend. It would. It's a big test for him, of course. Now, we know Josiah's issues usually are with home runs. So he's got to keep the ball in the park against these very tough hitters. That might be a little bit of a different kind of challenge 
than a Doan. I mean, Gray has a decent fastball, but he doesn't. I don't think he has a Doan's life on it. His best pitches, of course, are his breaking balls. So if he's feeling that curveball and that slider, can he get swings and misses on that? Uh, but most importantly, can he keep the ball down? Can he get ahead in the count and not leave anything over the plate that can be driven a long way? But look, ultimately, they got to start scoring some runs. They had such a great start to the road trip offensively, and it's really cooled off since. They need to take advantage of their opportunities. I think Juan Soto, we didn't talk about him, but I mean, he had a rough night. He was upset with the strike zone, got called out on some borderline pitches. Look, I get it. He's got maybe the best eye in baseball, but you know what? If it's that close and you're Juan Soto and this team's struggling as much as it is, you might just need to swing at some of these. I'm not saying expand way out of the zone, but if it's borderline, don't leave it in the umpire's hands. You're Juan Soto. You can still collect a hit. Don't go up there looking for walks. If it's close enough, I'd say swing at it. Yeah, I'd also would point this out. Uh, Victor Robles, since that great series at San Francisco last weekend, has one hit. Okay. So we talked about, well, was that the beginning of the Robles renaissance? Um, well, right now, it doesn't seem to be the case. Now, we'll see. But uh, I just hope that in August, I'm not making jokes to you about, well, Victor will always have that weekend at San Francisco in early May. You know what I mean? Like, that that was a great weekend. But since then, not much going down with Victor Robles offensively. No, it's been very quiet and very much the same old Victor. And that's unfortunate. You hope that there's still more in there. But you... Uh definitely have to at least consider the possibility that we saw a blip on the radar for a few days there. And that's not necessarily evidence of Victor Robles being fixed, as it were. Well, you tell us what you think. You can always hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Shout out to our guy, Rich Park, who is in Anaheim and was at the game on Friday night and was wearing his Nats Chat podcast t-shirt. We appreciate that so much. Uh, If you ever are at a Nats game, home or away, and uh, you want to send us a photo of you wearing a Nats Chat podcast t-shirt, do so, uh, and we'll give you a shout out or uh, give you a retweet on Twitter. And Rich, if I remember right, is our guy who tried to listen to the podcast from North Korea last year, correct? Yes. And he actually provided an update on that. Uh, He wrote in his email, update on the quest to download a Nats Chat episode in North Korea. Yes, I I put that out there. I said, can you download this podcast in North Korea? He said, well, that quest is on hold because the DMZ tour is still postponed due to COVID. So uh, we have COVID to blame for that. But one day, one day, our guy Rich is going to download an episode of the Nat Chat podcast in North Korea. I look forward to that day <laughs> very much. Uh, but if you want to get yourself a Nat's Chat podcast t-shirt, you can by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.square.site. Uh, we've thrown out a new question to be answered uh, via email, either in written form or voice memo form, your memories of the Nats 2012 season, right? This year, 10-year anniversary of that initial Nationals National League East Championship uh, from that 2012 season. So you can give us your memories uh, of that season. All Nats highlights are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. So for Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And we'll leave you with this memory of the Nats 2012 season from Andy in Cincinnati. Hey, Alan, Mark, this is Andy calling from Cincinnati. Uh, just wanted to share my thoughts of the 2012 season. My biggest memory was how strong the rivalry was that year between the Nationals and the Phillies. For a long time, the Phillies were the best team in National League East, and the Nationals were sort of their doormat. The one thing in particular I remember, I went to the uh, 
first weekend that Bryce Harper played the Sunday night game when he got hit by Cole Hamels uh, and Jason Worth uh, got injured in the outfield and, and Bryce Harper stole home plate. There were so many Philly fans in, in right field on uh, sort of heckling Jason Worth. And there was just this really feeling of a strong, strong rivalry. It's surprising, I guess, the Phillies didn't were so bad for so long after that that the rivalry ran away. And maybe now with Bryce Harper there, it will change. But I just remember that was the year that they started that attitude, and they were trying to take on the Phillies. And to the Philly fans' credit, they came out in force. Uh, but fortunately, we had just a great team in the next few years after that, and the Phillies really weren't a factor. Anyway, love the podcast. Really appreciate all the great work that you and Mark do. Thanks again. Bye. He's coming home. You sure this kid's 19? And if I'm Cole Hamels here, I throw over to first. Just they're going to play on the on the momentum here. Well, and the whole key is you have a left-handed throwing first baseman.